Hello and welcome to Shoot the Hostage. I'm Dan. And I'm Sarah. We're a movie show that delves into a different film each week based around a theme. This season the theme is criminals. Like all good podcasts, this show contains explicit language and mature content, as well as major spoilers for the movie we're covering. Season two, episode two. Yep. We're still on criminals. Mm-hmm. We're doing Hell or High Water. Yes. Yes. Yeah, this I, was your pick. I guess it was, yeah, because I love the movie so much. Mm-hmm. Um, alternative title, Root Into in Tapestry of Texas. <laughs> there is an alternative title. Uh, yes, there you, is. If you want some trivia straight off you the You want bat. trivia now? <laughs> Why not? Okay, go for your trivia. Original title was Comancheria. Yeah, a Comancheria. Comancheria. Comancheria, yeah. So I was trying to discern pronunciation based on the word Comanche. So yeah. Comancheria? I don't so, know. Sounds right to me, which is a region of New Mexico. It is. West Texas. But I think it's always a sensible choice when people don't choose the title that um, ignorant white people like myself are going to struggle to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I'll be embarrassed to ask for a ticket to that at the cinema. Well, Hell or High Water sort of rolls off the tongue quite nicely as well, doesn't it? And it that does. phrase, we all know what it means. Actually, what does it mean? Oh, it's like, like that thing when I'm definitely going to do that thing. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> yeah. It basically means doing whatever needs to be done to complete your task or mission yeah but it also has a double meaning which refers to um there's a there's a thing called a hell or high water clause in financial terms um contracts specifically usually a lease which is obviously very relevant to the plot of the film and it states that payments must continue regardless of any difficulties the paying party may encounter oh there you go so quite a clever title i'm glad they went with that yeah yeah it was the title to go with in the end. Definitely yeah. made sense. Came out in 2016. Yep. It was directed by David McKenzie, who's a Scottish filmmaker. Is he? Yep. Okay. He made Startup and Outlaw mm-hmm. King. Yeah, I did go through his filmography. And although I'm like, I recognize a bunch of titles on there, but I don't think I've seen a single one outside of this. I've definitely not seen Outlaw King. I think I may have watched the first five or ten minutes of Startup and was oh, like, no. oh, I don't fancy this. It seemed okay. But People seem to like it. Yeah, no, it had good scores and ratings. I just don't think I was in the mood for it when I put it on. So I am not very versed in the world of David McKenzie either. But I'm a little bit more familiar with the guy that wrote this, yeah. Taylor Sheridan, mm-hmm. who his first screenplay was Sicario. What a starter. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then he, this was his second screenplay. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So Sicario to start, this for main course. Yeah. What was dessert? Wind River was for dessert. That's a pretty good meal, man. Yeah. No, it's a good trilogy of of movies. Yeah. So he wrote this in three weeks. Really? Wow. Yeah. I I say wow. I don't know what the average time to write a screenplay normally is, but that seems really impressive to me. I couldn't read a book in three weeks. (laughs) Let him write a screenplay. Yeah, so we mentioned that the Sicario was the first one that he'd mm-hmm. written. He'd kind of just decided, I just want to, I just want to have a crack at writing. Been reading dialogue for years and years and years. Apparently, yeah. had saved all of the scripts that he'd ever worked on, and was like, I don't want to do any of that. I just want to do my own thing, kind of thing. Well, it, it's funny you say that because. I know you you never watched Sons of Anarchy, but I was quite a fan of it back in the day mm. before the f- final season ruined everything that came before it. Um, <laughs> hot take. But 
I knew him from that. Yeah. He played like this sort of, he was, I think he was a sheriff. On a motorbike. Who was always like butting heads with the bikers. Okay. Was he also on a motorbike? I don't believe so. Okay. But that's, that's what I knew him from. Yeah. And then it wasn't until we started doing research for this show that I put two and two together and was like, mm. oh, same guy. Wow. Yeah. 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 Three weeks took to write it. They shot the very first draft. They shot it in five weeks. So really quick turnaround. Wow. I did read that they they shot Chris Pine's parts quite quickly because he was um, he had prior commitments with Star Trek. I think he had to go to Star Trek Beyond, yeah. Yeah, so they filmed his parts in just a couple, like two or three weeks, I believe. Yeah, Chris Pine was on there for, I think, about three weeks. I think mm. I heard that too. Ben Foster is also in this. The two leads, aren't they? The two leads, Chris yeah. Pine, Ben Foster. They play brothers, Toby and Tanner. Yep. Jeff Bridges, the brilliant uh, all-time... Jeff Bridges is in there as a Texas Ranger. Um, I don't know. What is a Texas Ranger? Is it like a Power Ranger? (laughs) Um, But with less cool outfits. Yeah. Is there a Texan Zordon? Maybe. (laughs) One would assume. Also, Gil Birmingham is in it as Marcus's partner. Um, And they're the main four. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about maybe the relationships between those characters later on. But just one other note. uh, Amanda Amanda Midthunder. Amber. Amber. Is it Amber Mid <laughs> Is it Amber Mid Thunder? I thought from Prey. Yeah. I thought it was Amber. We'll go with that then. I've written down Amanda, but that doesn't mean that it's correct. Amber Mid Thunder. I thought it was oh now you've got me doubting myself. Okay, I've got a solution for this. <laughs> Editing this out and Googling it. Amber Mid Thunder. Amanda Mid Thunder. See? We'll just edit the right one in and no one will know. It was nominated for Best Picture in 2017, which I did not know. For an Oscar? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah fully deserved, in my opinion. But yeah, that, agreed. That was the year of the, the Moonlight La La right. Land debacle. Okay. So they, they never really stood a chance against Moonlight La La Land. I haven't seen, so I can't really comment, but it looks like toilet to me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I would have voted for this one for sure. Oh, 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 giving it away again early. I always do that, don't I? <laughs> It's a very simple plot. It's, it's there's incredibly not, simple, yeah. There's not much to go through with the plot. No. I mean, do you want to do a quick synopsis before we get too deep into yeah, it? Yeah, okay. So I'll, I've got a little synopsis here on Letterboxd. And it's not a long one. So I was a bit worried because sometimes when there are very simple movies, sometimes for some reason the synopsis are really overly complicated and convoluted. I feel like distributors or copywriters or whoever feel the need to justify the film's existence by waffling. Yeah. And it's just not necessary. But very quick and easy on this one. So a divorced dad and his ex-con brother resort to a desperate scheme in order to save their family's farm in West Texas. They're basically robbing banks. Mm -hmm. And that's how the film starts. It starts with us being introduced to Toby and Tanner, Robin a bank first thing in the morning, as soon as it opens. It's such a strong start because before we even get to the robbery, there's a couple of kind of establishing shots Mm. of this small Texan town, which I believe, I think New Mexico was actually a stand-in for Texas. I don't know if they filmed any of it in Texas, but I know a lot of it was done in New Mexico. But before we even get to the robbery, there's some really nice shots setting up what kind of a town this is, who these people are. There's some graffiti on the wall. I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was something about no bailouts for veterans. Yeah. 
which is a really nice way of kind of foreshadowing like the class and wealth divide. Yeah. Which is obviously the theme that is the most prevalent throughout the movie. Yeah. So I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. It's, I mean, as, as soon as I saw that graffiti, my mind's just taken back to that time just post 2008 where lots of people were having their houses repossessed mm. uh, and a financial crisis. And I guess it's it's kind of talking about that, isn't it? And, you know, we bailed out the banks, but we, we can't help out the less fortunate. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a very, for a simple plot, mm-hmm. this, I would say, the word I would probably use is um, texture. There's a lot of texture in this film in terms of the way it looks, the way it's shot, the way it's acted, the script. It all feeds into this world that Sheridan has written mm-hmm. with, like you say, the establishing shots do that straight away and let you know we're watching a, a film set in this dilapidated place run down people are not very well off mm-hmm. and struggling so straight away it just says this is the movie you're watching and it's it's just a really it's a really strong start as well and yeah and slightly different because there's there's a lot of movies that begin with heists but this is sort of heist plus texture plus e- extra it's not just your your average yeah. action kind of we're we're going to rob a bank type scenario not at all it's a very intelligent film yeah very um and obviously we're very early on in our criminals theme Mm. but to go back to last week (laughs) do we have to (laughs) (laughs) i mean i'd rather not but i think a lot of heist movies are guilty of too much setup and this couldn't be more different to army of the dead in terms of that and that was one of my biggest complaints last week is that there was so much exposition, so much setting up of the characters, and it was ultimately unnecessary. Mm. And Hell or High Water goes such a long way to proving how unnecessary it was, because we know nothing about these people. We see them robbing a bank, that's the first time we're introduced to them, and we don't need to know anything about them. Like, the the information is passed out so slowly through Mm. the dialogue during the film, and it's so smartly done that I think it, it sort of highlights what a lot of these types of films get wrong yeah no i I totally agree and i think you're not spoon-fed information it's it's kind of given like as you said very slowly throughout what you're seeing but mostly what you're hearing how the characters are talking to each other when they're referencing past events like tanner killing their dad for example in a quote-unquote hunting accident in a barn he's been to prison but this is all kind of given to you with dialogue and not just like hey stop for a minute yeah do you remember when i was in prison (laughs) It's like anecdotal, it feels more naturalistic, yeah, more conversational, and you're getting to know these these characters, which I which is the main reason why I think this script is so good. Yeah, it's really clever. It's really yeah. clever the way it's done. The dialogue tells you everything you need to know, and it's drip fed, mm. like you say. But also the um, the first heist. I mean, I th- I feel like even calling them heists is perhaps overselling it because they are doing very small bank jobs to get. A more modest amount of money, yeah. So as not to attract the wrong kind of attention, like you know, if you if you go big, you're going to get the FBI on your case. I think there's even a line about that. It's such a small sum of money, the FBI won't touch it. Mm. So they're just left with local cops who they kind of assume are less prepared for a crime of that nature. Yeah. Well, um, I I would hesitate to call it a heist movie. I guess technically it is. Kind of. It's. Obviously, it's a lot more than that. Yeah, it's Toby's plan. He's, his plan is to rob X amount of banks, raise X amount of money to pay off the mortgage on their land, their mother's land that mm-hmm. was left to Toby. And not to Tanner. That's another 
piece of information that you're given like nothing was left to tanner in the will therefore you assume that they didn't see my eye tanner and their mother so but i i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily call it a heist movie it's a drama with some heisting in it would you call it a crime thriller or a crime drama what's the difference between a drama and a thriller a thriller is thrilling. <laughs> and a drama is dramatic. dramatic. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It kind of seems like the same thing to me. Well, a drama can be anything, really. A drama can be a Pride and Prejudice, but a Pride yeah. and Prejudice can't be a thriller. Yeah, exactly. What about Pride and Prejudice <laughs> and Zombies? Is that a thriller? No, that was a half-baked turd what about- that worked far better as a book than it did a movie. What about the Michael Jackson music video for Thriller? Is that a thriller? Yeah, sure. Is there a movie called Thriller Killer? Is that a thriller? <laughs> I don't know. Is there a movie called Driller Killer? Yes. Is that a thriller? Is no. Driller Killer a thriller? It's a horror. How long should we play this game for? <laughs> um, I'm done. <laughs> I'm happy to move on. All right, on. well, thanks for listening. <laughs> no, I think, again, going back to that first robbery, we're told so much about these people through dialogue that well the the dialogue is relevant only to the robbery they're both kind of interacting with the the bank teller before the branch manager shows up mm. and the way the the different way in which they interact with this woman dale dickey by the way excellent yeah. character actress doesn't get enough recognition yeah. in my book but yeah you immediately are clued into the fact that Ben Foster is kind of the reckless one. He's a little bit unpredictable, yeah. a little bit more comfortable with this um, criminal enterprise. Yeah, And Chris Pine is far more serious, perhaps a little bit nervous, a bit uneasy, a bit more empathetic. So their motives at that point are kind of unclear, yeah. but it's obvious that Chris Pine's character, Toby, is a little bit more new to the whole thing. Yeah, he seems more reluctant when doing the the crime bits and yeah. more specifically where people can potentially be hurt yeah i was going to say especially when it leans towards violence yeah he's not he's not into that and i don't feel like tanner's character necessarily wants to hurt people i just feel like he doesn't have that much of an issue about doing it yeah i get the impression he's just a bit more of a wild card and yeah. I mean, who knows what 10 years in prison would do to a person. Mm. I'm sure that's affected him. And also, I don't know, I think he sort of is a... They're both quite bitter and quite rightly so. Yeah. Because of the situation they found themselves in. But I feel like Ben Foster's character is more angry about the whole thing. Yes. He's he's the older one, right? Ben he Foster. is, yeah. They're both so, the same age, the actors. Oh, are they? Yeah. Okay. But Ben Foster's playing a little bit older. Yeah, he, he's the older brother. So I guess he, he maybe got the brunt of the abuse as is yeah. kind of hinted at. And he's the one that took out their father. Mm -hmm. So I, and then obviously he went to prison. Were we meant to in, um, assume that he'd done a stint? In the army, had he done a tour or something? I feel like maybe with his weaponry and the way he just handled the automatic weapon T towards yeah. the end of the movie, I'm thinking, oh, he's had like some sort of tactical training there as well. So yeah, like, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, I feel like there's there's just a, like a rich texture of his his character that we're given throughout the film. But I would I wouldn't say he's quite a wild card because he does have restraint, and I feel weird saying this, but I feel like <laughs> this is a restrained Ben Foster because <laughs> he can go like he can chew scenery more than anybody. Yeah. And I, I enjoy him. I think he's good, but he's restrained enough in this. Like you could, he's definitely a bit of a wild card. He also has an incredibly human side. He loves his yeah. brother. 
He regrets that he wasn't around when his mum was dying. And I don't know, it's not... It, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I appreciated that this film doesn't fall into the trap or the cliche where there's just a wild card and you know he's just going to ruin it for everybody. You know, yeah. I can't think of a, an example off the top of my head, but that you always get that character in films and they are going to be the ones that start with the inciting incident or whatever it is. But that character just feels a little bit more restrained. He's doing this thing to help his brother out. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's going to shoot some guns while he's doing it and <laughs> have, to have a bit of fun. But um, I, th- I definitely think there is an underlying current of he enjoys, he's grown to enjoy crime. So like he's mostly doing it to help out family. He definitely, but, yeah, he does enjoy the buzz. Yeah, yeah. He does. But it's interesting that for me, it was just, there's a bit of everything going on in his character. Yeah, I would agree with that. And he and, didn't go so large that I was just like, oh, I can't wait for this character <laughs> to, 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 to die or be caught yeah. or whatever. Like I, I'm still kind of rooting for him. Well, it's curious, isn't it? Because this film is so morally grey, mm. intentionally so. Because even the cops, which we'll talk about at length later, I'm sure, but particularly Jeff Bridges, is very hard to root for. Like, his character is very funny, but he's such a cranky curmudgeon who is, like, outright racist Mm. to his indigenous partner. And his partner just kind of takes it because he knows this. Like, they obviously, there's some love there. Yeah. They've been partners a while, but... I don't know. He even he is hard to root for, and they're on the side of right. Yeah, and I think the, the thing about it is the script is good, but also the performances. Jeff Bridges, he's he's incredibly charming actor. Like yeah, you watch him, yeah. and you just I hang on to every word that he says, and he's brilliant in this. He's not quite as good as he is in Tron Legacy, because <laughs> that's a masterpiece. <laughs> but um, agree to d- disagree on that one. But you're right. Like on paper, the things that this guy is saying. You're like, mate, come on. Yeah. Like, you can't be you can't be doing this. But Alberto is incredibly tolerant. Yes. And you feel like there's a history there. So, and also like he's getting towards end of retirement. So I don't well, know. Well, this is like his last job officially. Yeah. Their relationship is interesting because it, it runs parallel with Toby and Tanner's relationship. And there's kind of a similar kind of vibe. I, feel, I get yeah. like a, a sibling-ish relationship yeah, with them as well. Yeah, Obviously... Marcus is the the older character out of the two and he's about to retire and I feel like a lot of this movie is about the end of things so he's getting towards retirement some people die in this movie I'm sure we'll talk about that yeah so I feel like it's it's about the end of things as much as anything which I think is what's so interesting about the characters because they're all talking about the end of things the start of new things the cyclical nature of things so I find that their relationship running parallel with Toby and Tanner's is interesting, but they both also feed into the the wider narrative of the of the plot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Some of the stuff he says, like the, the, the insults, because he's making Native American jokes a lot oh, of the it's time, isn't awful. he? Awful. But and he's so likable. He's so likable. It makes me feel uncomfortable. There's there's one there's one part in it where. Alberto goes, you know, I'm half Mexican. And Marcus says, yeah, I, I'm not done with the Native American jokes yet. I'll, uh, I'll get onto the Mexican half when I'm done with that. And that's just carried on throughout yeah. the entire film. He doesn't let up. It's fascinating that we don't hate that character. Isn't it? It's almost like, I don't want to downplay it because obviously it's in real world terms that those kind of comments and jokes can do actual harm. Yeah. So I'm not going to kind of disregard it. Yeah. 
but it's almost become like a bonding ritual for him you know like the playground thing of yeah. if you pick on somebody it means you like them yeah it's almost like that it just kind of feels real they, they feel yeah. like real characters because there are people like that and especially his age yeah exactly that's a generational <laughs> thing which yeah. again feeds into the antiquated systems thing uh, and and the, the start of new things kind of nature of it He's not a bad guy. Mm. He's he's a good guy. He's a he, committed police officer. But he says some shitty things yeah. that unforgivable things. Yeah, yeah. And you'd be well within your rights to be offended by that and and never talk to the guy or whatever. But yeah, it's fascinating that we get the whole way through the film and we still are rooting for that guy. Well, I think it's really interesting that he does consider Alberto a friend and vice versa. And like you say, Alberto's really tolerant of him. So I think that's because he knows where his heart is. Yes. I imagine that Alberto's put up with this for a long time. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe because Jeff Bridges' character is three weeks away from retirement, maybe he's ramping it up there a little <laughs> bit because he just wants to have as much fun as possible before he retires and maybe Alberto is just that little bit more forgiving than he normally yeah, is. Yeah, because he knows it's the end of an era. Yeah, maybe before that Marcus isn't coming on quite as strong with the insults and maybe Alberto is defending himself a bit more but he's yeah. just more tolerant and more accepting like yeah okay come on. <laughs> I'm looking at his watch and he's got three weeks to go. <laughs> yeah. Tapping his watch. It's gone maximum commodion. Yeah. But yeah those two sets of characters in the movie th that's what this movie is it's you've got Tanner and Toby and you've got Marcus and Alberto and obviously one set is trying to outsmart the other set and vice versa. Um so they're hot, kind of hot on the tail of of Toby and Tanner who are, who are robbing a few banks. Well, we get we get two robberies before the title card, right? Which I had completely forgotten. Obviously, this was um, this was a third time watch for me. Mm. You've seen it quite a few times now, haven't yeah, you? five or six, I yeah. think, at this point. Yeah. Which is like once a year since it came out. That's crazy. Almost, yeah, yeah. Which again, somewhat gives away your feelings about this film. <laughs> yeah, oh, I hate it. I watch yeah. it every year. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's interesting that you point that out, actually, because it wasn't until my third time watching it that I kind of realized the parallels and the, mm. the fact that the cops are kind of the exact sort of counterparts, yeah. counterpoints to the, the criminals. And everybody is a little bit morally ambiguous. Yeah. yeah no. Varying scales, obviously. Well, Alberto's not morally ambiguous, is he? I guess not. Um, no. I can't no, think of you're anything. Right. He seems to be the most altruistic character. Oh, of the four, by yeah. by a country mile, yeah. Yeah, because obviously you've got the the two that are robbing the banks, and although Chris Pine is reluctant to, to hurt anybody, his he's plan, the one who came up with the plan. Yeah, is, yeah, he's the reason that all of this is happening. Well, I think in his mind, his plan doesn't include anybody getting hurt. No, which is not how all of the robberies play out, as we mm. soon start to see. But I think if everything had gone to the letter the way he wanted it to, there wouldn't have been any victims in his mind because the yeah. he doesn't consider the bank to be the victim. They're the oppressor. Yeah. So I think in his own mind, he is the good guy. He's kind of like doing a little Robin Hood bit. Yeah. Which is a, a great plan. Yeah. And you kind of are on board with that. But the morally grey area, or for me anyway, I don't mind rob the bank and pay off your own mortgage with the yeah. bank money. I don't with care. With their own it's money. It's quite yeah. amusing to me. Just don't shoot anyone. Yeah, it is his plan that ultimately puts people in danger. And you're right, like his plan didn't include anybody getting hurt. But the fact that he planned it and 
He had to have known it was a possibility. Yeah, and he knows his brother is a bit of a loose, can be a bit of a loose cannon. He knows that shit's going to go wrong, really. Like, he's a smart bloke. He Mm. knows that there's a chance that things are going to go sideways for for people. But it is mostly Tanner's, it's only Tanner's actions that lead to anyone being hurt or killed. Yeah. However, I don't think that Toby's character gets away with it if Tanner doesn't do those things. Oh, no, no. Particularly when they sort of at the point at which they divert their plans to a different bank yeah because obviously they were going to go to one bank and they decide to go to the one that is likely to have more money i yeah. believe but obviously that's because there's a, a vast amount more people there yeah. and it's, and it's later in the day yeah and it's full it's just full of people yeah which is not what chris pine originally wanted he wanted to hit a boat Small banks early in the morning, small bills, so it can't be tracked. Mm-hmm. Hit a few of those, raise a certain amount and go and gamble it at the casino to, yeah. to clean the money. Job done. Yeah. But there's a couple of... Mitigating factors. Yeah. Uh, the mitigating factor being Tanner. Yeah. <laughs> who... Who does a he, he does a surprise robbery, doesn't he? He comes out oh, and he's like, God. surprise, Toby, I just robbed somewhere. And that's where um, Amanda Midthunder, Amber Midthunder comes into play because she's the she's the bank teller but i, I really enjoyed that scene because chris pine is in the in the restaurant and he he's talking to the, the waitress and tips her 200 dollars and they're getting on flirting a little bit and then chris pine's character comes out and tanner's running across the road with money like stuffed down his jacket saying stop the car we've got to run kind of thing so it's only those things it's it, simultaneously the plan works because of tanner and also nearly fails because of tanner yeah absolutely. but if everything goes to toby's plan I don't think that they, maybe they do, but I don't think necessarily they get away with it. I think maybe they get caught. Yeah. I think maybe they're still alive, but. True, true. It's interesting you bring up that scene in the diner though, because I think that, again, only on third watch sort of occurred to me how differently the the two brothers treat women as well, which I think is a really good indicator of their character. Yeah. Because Chris Pine talks to the waitress, kind of sympathizes with her a little bit. He's not very talkative. She's doing most of the talking, but he leaves her a really generous tip. Yeah. While his brother is across the street intimidating what looks like a teenager. Yeah. To get money that wasn't even in the plan. Yeah. And then later when they're at the casino, he's really aggressive to what we believe to be a sex worker. Yeah. And I just think it it tells you a lot about who these two people are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I don't know, perhaps that's to do with the fact that Ben Foster's character is a little bit older, was raised predominantly probably by their father. Yeah. And then once he went to jail for the death of their father, mm-hmm. um, Chris Pine's character was left with his mother. So mm-hmm. might explain why he's got a little bit of a gentler nature and perhaps respects women a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. He's the older one, like you say, maybe older views. Was He was exposed to more older views and opinions in that way. And probable violence. Yeah, um, stint in prison. I don't think it was the killing their father that he went no, to prison it was, for. No, it was something else, yeah. But that, that obviously I, kind of potentially set him down the path of a life of crime. Yeah, and also if he was, uh, he, if he is a veteran as well, also maybe that, you know, boys club army yeah. stuff. Yeah, they they're they're very different uh, the two the two lead characters, but they're interesting both in their own rights. I don't know. I just always find it quite interesting when two people raised together can turn out so differently. But I think the script goes such a long way to explaining perfectly why they are the way they are. Yeah, which again is just another good example of how smart the dialogue is. Yeah, have you got any standout scenes? 
standout or like uh, is there anything in it that you remember watching thinking oh this is what the movie is about or just something that you a scene that you enjoyed i enjoyed all of the dialogue yeah <laughs> I, 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 it's funny i i kind of prefer the quieter moments yeah to the the actual the more thrilling ones mm. i think the strength in this movie is definitely the quieter moments mm. and the dialogue my favorite scene though is is when Jeff Daniels, Jeff Daniels, Jeff, Jeff Bridges, Bridges, and Gil Berman are in that restaurant, and oh yeah, the, the old lady. What don't you want? <laughs> you don't want a potato, or you don't want green beans. <laughs> Someone tried to order a trout in 1987. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that and their stint in that town. Yeah, the cop, the two, the two Texas Rangers. And just after that scene, I think, is where Gil Birmingham has his monologue about the land being taken from his ancestors yeah. by the townsfolk, grandparents, and now the banks are taking it from them. And so it goes on. There's that moment and there's the moment in the casino as well where Ben Foster kind of squares up to the Comanche yeah. guy. Yeah. So there's there's an undercurrent of all of this is stolen. Yeah, yeah. He says, uh, I, that's a really nice line as well, actually, that I wrote down where the Comanche guy says... Do you know what Comanche means? It means um, enemy of everyone, I, th- I believe mm. it was. And Foster's character says, do you know what that makes me? And he says, my enemy. He says, no, it makes me Comanche. So that was really, that was a really good piece of dialogue as well. Yeah. We haven't even mentioned the soundtrack yet, which I think is probably, it's probably pertinent that we do mention that, given that it was co, yeah. um, what's the word? Co- uh, not- Written, mm. performed, crafted, <laughs> curated. Composed. Uh, composed. That's the word I was looking for. We got I knew there. it was a C word. I was going to go for a different C word, but maybe oh, not. Keep that to yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, co-composed by Nick Cave. Yeah. Which is, I don't know, does he do a lot of film work? His song was in Dumb and Dumber once. <laughs> <laughs> and the Scream movies, Red Right Hand. Yeah, that's right. Um, does he do a lot? I think he's done a couple. Has he? Yeah, I'm going to look this up right uh, now because I mean, I'm curious. Nick Cave. Yeah. I've written down Nick Cabe. <laughs> Nick Cave. Who's Nick Cabe? Yeah. Scores. Apparently he's in Brighton loads. What? Yeah. Brighton? Yeah, my friend saw it, bumped into him in Brighton. Brighton, England. Your friend yes. bumped into him once, therefore he's in Brighton loads. I, I, did I say loads? Yeah. I, frequently. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he lives there. Maybe he's just on holiday. Brighton's a cool place. I don't recognise most of these movies. Do you know 20,000 Days on Earth? Nope. Do you know this much I know to be true? I've heard of it. Okay, I've not heard of it. Lawless, <laughs> which is a movie that I haven't seen. Lawless? The one yeah. with Tom Hardy? Probably. Shia LaBeouf. That this, was okay. The Assassination of Jesse James. Oh, Buddy yeah. Coward, Robert of Ford, course. Which is a good movie. Yeah. Wind River. Oh, the road. okay. He's done loads. He's done absolutely loads. Okay, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't really notice the music in this. I do know that there was a track called Comancheria. I heard on okay. a podcast somewhere today. So I'm guessing that was from when they were, they were using the, the working title. title. change, yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, it's funny. I I remember some of the songs, some of the song choices in this are kind of, again, to take it back to last week, the soundtrack to this movie is kind of everything the Army of the Dead soundtrack wasn't, mm. in that the songs were kind of relevant to what was going on in the film, but it didn't beat you around the head with the subtext of it. Yeah. 
and the soundtrack was kind of it was very texan it was really quite fitting and quite evocative yeah there was some country in there and cotton yeah. eye joe <laughs> yeah of course i remember um, hearing that <laughs> but yeah i i don't know i don't remember being struck by any like orchestral stuff or yeah there were there were moments but it's funny i've got no memory recollection or can name one single note of okay. music in this film it's not something i paid any attention to whatsoever other than going oh nick cave and then didn't think about it <laughs> at all well i think the only reason i was paying attention was because i saw his name in the opening credits yeah okay fair enough i think i have trouble concentrating on more than one thing at a time so i was really <laughs> dialed into what the people were saying yeah. and what we were being shown in the frame mm -hmm. and maybe the music and stuff just kind of informed me subconsciously which i guess is kind of what music should do in a yeah. film like yeah you do have your your moments where you have a great needle drop like in Edgar Wright movies or mm -hmm. not in Zack Snyder movies as we <laughs> established last week already but uh, yeah I didn't really notice it but I'd, I'd be interested actually to after this maybe tomorrow just maybe listening to that soundtrack yeah. again and be like oh yeah I remember that little slide guitar bit there where they're <laughs> having a wrestle in the field <laughs> yeah there's quite a bit of foreshadowing in this film as well yes did you catch much of it there were a couple no. of um a couple that kind of spring to mind straight off the top of my head. I can't remember who exactly was having the conversation, but there is like the Blaze of Glory. What, a Bon Jovi track? <laughs> yes. Blaze of Glory. No, actually I said Blades of Glory. Is <laughs> <laughs> Will Ferrell in that movie? Um, yeah, John Hedder, I want to oh, say. Yeah. <laughs> Before Tremors 7. Oh no. Fame. I haven't seen Tremors 7 yet. We need to watch it. Well, yeah, we'll figure that out. Tremors is a Western like this movie. Yes. A Tremors 4 is definitely a Western. There's no, like, <laughs> I think that's where the similarities between the movies end, perhaps. Um, someone has a moustache. How, how would you feel if Graboids had shown up at the end of Hell or High Water? <laughs> I would fucking love it. I would be punching the air. I would Bert love Gomma it. Bert appears out of nowhere in tactical oh, gear. Oh, that would be so good. But what are we doing for the sequel? Are we doing Hell or High Water tone or Tremors tone? Ooh. Just 50-50, even 50. split at both. <laughs> are we going to cut the scenes together or are we just going to do half of Hello High Water and then half of Tremors? And which way round are you doing it? Oh, I don't know. Like a from Chris Dust Pine, Dawn scenario. Chris Pine would obviously have to adopt the Fred Ward role going forward. I, I thought he was going to say Chris Pine would have to adopt a Graboid. <laughs> <laughs> He's got pet Graboid. That would be a very different it's outcome. Guard in the ranch. <laughs> um, but yes, Blaze of Glory, like that. That line yeah. is mentioned at some point in the film, which is obviously massive foreshadowing. That's definitely yeah. in the first act. Yes. And to spoil something that happens kind of in the culmination of the film, which is Gil Birmingham, Alberto's death, which I do want to talk about. But that is foreshadowed because I think when they're in the small town with the T-bone steak lady, mm. there's, the, there's a line where he literally says, it's a dangerous thing we do. Yeah. Which again kind of takes it back to season one, the perils that yeah. police go through. Yeah, um, see our episode on End of Watch. Yeah. I was going to say End of Cops. End of Cops. <laughs> very. <laughs> That'd be a different film. I mean, End of Cops kind of <laughs> yeah. is sort of. Um, it works for, end of for watch. that movie. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there is a fair amount of foreshadowing in this film, which I appreciate. I don't know why, but the death of. Alberto always takes me by surprise. Well, it's, I think it's supposed to. It comes so far out of left field because yeah. I didn't necessarily expect any of the main four to die. I didn't quite know how it was going to play out yeah. the first time I saw it, but I didn't predict anything that happened, yeah. which is 
really interesting for for a film with such a simple plot it was quite unpredictable yeah and like i think deceptively simple because i don't think i've ever seen it done quite like this yeah or, or i should say i've never seen another film with a plot quite like this despite it being so simple and kind of obvious mm. but yeah that just comes out of nowhere and it happens so fast and it was a real kind of gut punch moment well like you say it's been foreshadowed earlier on in a movie but you i'm thinking that that's jeff bridges particularly oh yeah particularly with what i think the, the story is ultimately about the death of old and the start of new mm. i'm thinking oh it makes total sense that that you know jeff bridges has been a, a tired old racist throughout this whole movie <laughs> he's gonna die yeah and then alberto is gonna carry on in the force but i guess you're you're meant to think that and if this was an m night Shyamalan movie Shyamalan. 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 Oh, don't ask Shyamalan. me. I never M. know. M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. Just... <laughs> Delete as applicable. Exactly. <laughs> um, if this was a, an M. Night movie, then that's the twist moment is when, what a when twist. Marcus, get, uh, when Alberto gets shot in the face. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I just, I completely forgot that that happened in, when I was watching it this time, which was great because I got to that point. I was like, oh yeah, shit. He dies. And then Jeff Bridges just... You see all the emotion in, in Jeff Bridges' character that, after that death. That moment when he kind of lets out that little guttural noise and it's such a mixture of like... I think, Well, I don't know. It, it's heartbreaking. Mm. And then again, he has this moment when he... Um, spoilers again. But when he picks off Tanner, mm. when he sort of snipes him from pretty far away and prevents him from doing any more damage, he just lets out this noise that's kind of... It's really hard to discern. It's like part grief, but yeah. part triumph. It's weird because I feel like he's initially he's like, yes, I did it. But then immediately remembers, yeah. oh, shit, my mate's dead. But that that moment is such an, a masterclass yeah. in acting. It's so subtle and so well done. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think a lot of this, I think ultimately it's the script that does a lot of the work here. But even with the brilliant script that this has... If you get lesser actors in these roles, it doesn't hit quite as well. Yeah, it's a very there's a they're walking a very fine line with these characters. You know, we're saying that Jeff Bridges is is a curmudgeon, old racist, but we're still kind of rooting for him. I feel like other actors might not be able to pull that off quite as well. We would just end yeah. up hating them. I think the casting is perfect yeah. in this, and I think. I mean, you're right. It's a character piece mm. when all is said and done. And I think the casting is almost like the most important component yeah. here. Yeah. It's it's no good having such a strong, smart script yeah. if it's in the hands of people who can't deliver it properly. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think that the casting absolutely makes the movie. Yeah, definitely. And, and also like Gil Burnham, he's, have you seen Wind River? Yeah. He's fantastic in that he's he's i think he's the standout he's not in it an awful lot but the okay. scenes he has he's brilliant in and he's also listed in a sequel to wind river which is oh, <laughs> i've got an imd okay. page called um wind river rising windier river windier river yeah so I'm, I'm not really sure what the plan is for that or even if it will get made because it's not marked as in development it or... seems like a strange film to greenlight a sequel for yeah i don't really get it either I think um, it was quite critically acclaimed, but I don't know how well it did at the box office. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I would watch sure. it. Yeah, I'd watch it too. But um, but yeah, Gil Burnham is is great in that, and also I think 
because of all of the other actors are so strong in it and have such strong and a lot of dialogue he has less dialogue and it's more reactionary to the things that yeah. are happening. Yeah, and he's very deadpan. Yeah, but like he, he still has to be nuanced and you, he feels lived in this guy as yeah. well. So I just wanted to highlight his role in this because you can talk all day about the other three because they've got the most interesting dialogue, mostly. Gil Berman's character does have some really cool stuff that we spoke about earlier. I think the most surprising to me when I first watched this was Chris Pine. I think yeah. in 2016 when I saw it, I was just like, oh, Kirk's in it. I mean, I, And yeah. I'd, I'd seen him in, is he in that Magic Lobster movie? Wait, what? There's a chef <laughs> and there's a lobster that's a Magic Lobster or something. Is this a dream you had? <laughs> <laughs> a dream about Chris Pine and a Magic Lobster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've told me about Weirder. <laughs> <laughs> this is not safe for podcast. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I think when I saw it, I was mostly surprised by him because I'd seen Ben Foster in in stuff and like, yeah, he's that that great. He's good been actor. A, he's been a character actor for a long time, and yeah. like, I think Ben Foster is my favorite over actor. Yeah, particularly in stuff like Alpha Dog, where he's just like just off the fucking chain. Is he the brother in that movie? Yes, he's, he's the, the uh, older brother of uh, Anton Yelchin's character. Right. Yes, yes, I remember him in that now. He's, yeah nuts in that movie he is yeah and he's he's really good in 310 to humor as well yeah i watched that recently he's had an interesting career he has he was angel in a x-men <laughs> yeah <which laughs> the less said about that the better well for him. no but you're right like chris pine up until that point was kind of mostly doing like rugged sort of leading man roles more than anything else with the yeah. exception of stuff like smoking aces obviously oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, since since then he's done more interesting stuff. He yeah. did that virus movie. I can't remember when that came out or what that was about. Maybe that oh, was before. Carriers. Maybe that was before twenty sixteen. I want to. Yeah, I want to say that was, was quite it? a few years before. Maybe like two thousand eleven. Oh, okay. Maybe that was just after the Magic Lobster movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But more recently, he was in what was that? <sighs> there was Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and he Dragons. He was, he was really good. Like his comic timing is great. Yes, he's obviously Steve Trevor in the Wonder Woman movie. Yeah, he was. I never see people talk about this movie. Wonder Woman. But I loved it. Um, no, Stretch. Oh, yeah. The Patrick, um, I was going to say Warburton. Patrick, Patrick Wilson. Wilson one, yeah. I, it's not a great film, but I enjoyed yeah, the hell right. out of it. And Chris Pine is so funny in yeah. that film. What a douchebag. Yeah. So he can do it all. Well, what, what was that movie he was in recently? The uh, Olivia Wilde, maybe. We're oh, in. don't worry, darling. Yeah, I was yeah. about to spoil that movie there. Not, <laughs> it's quite new, so I'm glad I didn't. But yeah, he was good in that as well. I, yeah. He was uh, not a particularly nice character, but still had that, that yeah. charm. That, that like, he's not afraid to go against type. Yeah. And he's perfect for Kirk as well mm. in that role, because he's like a bit of a kind of a... Boy Scout, but also has something a, a bit more about him. Yeah. He's a bit more intelligent than that. So he's had an interesting career, but he was yeah. the most surprising to me when I watched this. And um, yeah, I, I, I just would like to see him in more stuff like this. He does quiet and contemplative very well. Yes. And would you say this is peak Ben Foster or would you say Freaks and Geeks is peak <laughs> Ben Foster? Um, I can't. When, you sh when we watched that episode and Ben Foster was, I was like, oh my God, you can see it's him. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Doing his best. Are you gonna, Leo in What's Eating Gilbert Grape impression. When we release this episode, are you going to do a screen grab of Ben Foster in Freaks and Geeks and put it on the internet for I everyone? I think we should, yeah. Yeah. From this to this, from Freaks and Geeks <laughs> to Tanner in Hell High Water. How it was going, how it's going now. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, so we're we're at the end of the movie, aren't we? We like, yeah. Rob- I mean, to, to sort of get everybody up to speed, there's the diversion in their plan where they end up going to the the busier bank, and mm. that's where things really go tits up, yeah. and it becomes impossible to root for Tanner. Well, he's got a slightly different plan to to Toby. Toby thinks they're both going to kind of drive off together, and earlier on in the movie, Tanner has, has sort of said, "You know, I've got these weapons. I can't leave them in there." in the trailer for, for three days so we've got mm. to take him with this and he's obviously got this plan that he's going to create think, a diversion and do you think that was part it. of the plan or do you think that was just kind of just in case like a backup oh, i think tanner had always planned on this okay i think his plan was always to be the decoy so that toby could get away because he's there's you mentioned about the blaze of glory stuff and that's foreshadowed there he i'm sure that he has a line of dialogue that's similar to that as well okay so yeah, I feel like that was always his plan, but he just didn't let on with with Toby. I think he wants to go out that way. I think he do you do you think he knew he would die? I think so. I think okay. I think he he thought that it would either be death or prison, but preferably death. Right is my take on it. Okay. So he's just kind of going all out, and he's just taking as many people out as he can before he actually goes. I think he's surprised when he's. I don't think he's expecting to be shot and killed when he is. I find he doesn't see that coming. No, I think there's a certain arrogance to him. He's not as intelligent as his brother, but he yeah. thinks he's more intelligent than he is. I think he he thinks he's one step ahead. Yes, that's true. And they, they have that scene at the gas station early on in the film when those people are quite aggressive to Tanner, mm. and Tanner's just quite relaxed. Come on, boys, you, you'll think there, there's ten of me. Yeah. And Chris Pine's character comes out and he hits them, and then they're on their way. So yeah, you're right. He is very arrogant. But I feel like that was all, always his plan. Maybe not, maybe not. But that's my reading on it. And it, it, that's why he's taken this extra weaponry. That's why they've got this extra car so that he can eventually be a decoy for the police. Okay. Well, that gets, definitely makes the recklessness, I don't know, a different read on it now. Yeah. So Jeff Bridges has, Tanner's gone up a like a small hill, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and he's just picking people off of his sniper rifle. Yeah. That's where... Alberto gets shot mm-hmm. and then Marcus kind of sneaks up the hill behind him with a, a with the civilian with their, their sniper rifle and he takes out uh, Ben Foster's yeah, character. Yeah, he, he kind of has a moment where he's like, no, I have to be the one to do this. Yeah. I have to enact vengeance. Justice. Yeah, he wants, he wants vengeance for Tanner having shot Alberto. And I think that Foster is surprised by that, but he's just kind of sitting on the rock and he it's very like... It's very matter of fact. There's no, yeah. it's not glorified. You're not like going, yes, or you're just, I'm kind of like bummed out. Like even though Tanner is a bad dude with slices of goodness in him, he's a bad dude who murders people, but I still didn't want him to die. Mm. That's that's the curious thing about this movie. I still kind of just wanted him to be apprehended and get taken to jail. But I think that happens though. It's again more evidence for how good the writing is mm. because characters don't have to be likable they just have to be interesting yeah. and they were everybody in this was deeply interesting yeah. even the side characters that were there for a, a single scene and then never we never see them again yeah everybody had substance yeah and then um that's the that's the last time we see we see tanner who's just having been shot on a rock yeah. and there's an image of a snake next to him as he's just been shot a snake is like an evil, bad thing, right? Serpents, like yeah, like bad omens. But when it, but when I see a snake, I always think of the Ouroboros. I always think okay. of that. And, and that, again, kind of fed into the that cyclical, cyclical nature, nature of things, of yeah. things for me as Everything's well. Everything's doomed to repeat. Yeah, I noticed that. And 
And I nearly said Al Rob or Ross because that's that's how I remember the spelling. Ouroboros. Ouroboros? Ouroboros? Ouroboros. None of them sound correct anymore. You've Ouroboros. said it too many times. Ouroboros? Sure. Go with Al that. Al Rob or Ross. <laughs> that sounds like a character from Game of Thrones. Yeah. But then there's, there's some passage of time, I'm guessing, because Toby has yeah. squared things away with the bank. He's paid off the land. He's entered into a trust with the same bank mm-hmm. who now manage... The... That he was advised to do by the, the lawyer, yeah. who interestingly was also on their side. He was in on a plan. He knew what they were yeah. doing. Yeah. Also and... saw the banks as a bit of an evil entity. Yeah. And he loved it. It was like, I think that's the most Texan thing you can yeah. do. <laughs> I, I, that's something that I really appreciated throughout, actually. The, the way everybody, without exception, demonized the banks. Yeah. Everybody saw it for what it was. Like even the the patrons in the restaurant that the... the cops were trying to question wouldn't give them anything because yeah. they were just like nah fuck them yeah fuck midlands and that's the interesting thing isn't it like the the bad guys in this movie is the bank yeah it's it's super well done i've not seen anything quite like that before where you've got the two sets of characters the cops and the robbers and you're rooting for both of them and the only people you want to see get screwed over is the bank yeah it's, and it's brilliantly done and again the the people who we see working at the banks are the most polite and proper people in the entire film yeah but they're the worst (laughs) so yeah so he pays off the land and there's oil on the land so he sets up the trust with the bank and leaves the land to his children and then there's just oil pumping away which is at the end of the movie and that's when we get jeff bridges character coming back He's, he's obviously retired by this point and the investigation has been wrapped up um, the banks are not really being very helpful with the investigation because now that Chris Pine's character has the trust with the bank, they're now making money yeah. from the, the oil, which is why that lawyer kind of suggested to them to, to, to put the trust in, yeah. in the bank's name. And it's just a brilliant, brilliant case of covering your tracks and thinking ahead as well. But yeah, so Marcus comes, Marcus goes to the police station and says, I know I don't work here anymore and I know I'm a civilian, but can I have that, that those <laughs> confidential police files, please? And they're like, sure. <laughs> Oh, Jeff Bridges, take them. Just <laughs> take copies. Just if if you leave them at a restaurant, don't worry. We'll just come back and like. No, that's not happening. Is it? <laughs> but for the sake of the story, Jeff Bridges gets hold of the papers and he finds out about his brother and goes and visits uh, Toby on the ranch that he's now left to his children. Yeah. And they have that final com- conversation. I was going to say confrontation because it's not quite a confrontation. It isn't, it isn't. It's a preamble to a confrontation, isn't it? Yeah. That's what's so interesting about that ending to me. It's a very tense scene because Chris Pine's character is kind of very relaxed, but is holding a shotgun. Yeah. And kind of tilts it at one point to make sure Jeff Bridges kind of knows, you know, I have this. I will use it if you force me to. Yeah. And it's a really interesting moment. They're both very calm. It's like there's aggression underneath and maybe some hatred, but also a mutual respect. Respect, yeah. Yeah, it's it's super interesting the way that it's done because they both, each character has wronged the other one. Mm -hmm. Chris Pine set into motion a plan that ultimately killed Several people. And and, and other innocent people, yeah. But then also Jeff Bridges' character is the one that killed Tanner. So both have got, beef with the other one yeah but as we said like a mutual respect and it's just like they're having that conversation through gritted teeth mm-hmm. and they know that neither of them can really act on anything at the moment but why don't you swing by sometime and we'll finish this <laughs> conversation 
and, and and Chris Pine says, oh, maybe I'll, I'll give you some peace. And maybe Je- Jeff Bridges goes, maybe I'll give it to you. And you're just like, oh, I want to see that. What I do wanna- you think happens after the credits roll? Well, I think I've been thinking about this. I think um, Toby is obviously happy that his children are set for life now, mm-hmm. but is regretful of the way that things went down. His brother's dead. Innocent people are dead. And I think he's probably feeling the weight of those decisions that he made. So I think he he's probably going to be quite happy to go um but then at the same time maybe jeff bridges as well is there's there's no way to to tell but i think they're going to have a bloody good conversation maybe there's going to be a shootout i don't see either of them backing down no maybe they become best mates (laughs) maybe there's a buddy movie in there (laughs) yeah yeah that's the sequel isn't it they buddy up and they fight a graboid (laughs) i would watch that so would i (laughs) i'm not gonna lie so would i um yeah so that about takes us to the end of the film Mm. something that i think is really interesting to mention and kind of a crying shame is that it tested really well with audiences obviously has quite a reasonably big name cast jeff bridges and chris pine certainly especially bridges uh, because he won that oscar didn't he he was nominated for best supporting actor for this yeah i can see why but it did not receive any major publicity it was barely released in cinemas yeah and apparently it's because the advertisers didn't want to be associated with a film promoting retribution against financial Mm. institutions who feed off the working class Mm. interesting isn't it i i think what's really interesting is that if it had been released maybe three years later i think that could have been quite different yeah because it's actually quite de rigueur to kind of take a pop at the rich now it's very fashionable isn't it yeah yeah things like triangle of sadness and glass onion and succession i guess to a lesser degree yeah uh the white lotus there's a lot of content that's kind of poking fun at the rich yeah you're right so i think if it had just been released three years later four years later yeah it could have done really big numbers yes for a for this type of film i think it could have been way more successful i think you're right i think it was made for like 12 million dollars which is that's impressive cheap isn't it especially when you consider the cast that they've Mm. got in this and i think it grossed 38 million so it did it 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 did did well by its own standards Mm. and if it had a limited release that's even more impressive that's pretty incredible if it if it indeed did have a limited release yeah bummer that they didn't want to show the banks being screwed over isn't it a shame yeah but i've there's loads of bank robbery movies but i guess the difference here is that as we've said in the episode the banks are the bad guys yeah it's clear (laughs) that they are the bad guys i guess that the banks are often the shown as the victims in in a, a traditional heist or crime movie aren't they yeah or at least the people who work there yeah the individuals affected but yeah i don't know Everyone was kind of a victim in this in some way. Yeah. Yeah, they were. No easy answers. Are we done? Yeah. I'm really glad we covered this. Um, It's a good one for criminals. Yeah. As I say, this was my third watch. I think I get more out of it with each watch. I think I do too as well. And I think because I know what the the events that are going to happen in the movie, I'm paying more attention to the dialogue and going, oh, wow, it really is all feeding Mm. into this whole narrative that they're trying to tell. So yeah, I'm with you there. I, I enjoy it more and more with each watch. Yeah. Yeah, this is like a like a nine out of five for me. It's <laughs> nine out of five. <laughs> yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. No, I think this movie's excellent. It's, it's it's probably in my top ten of the last ten years, maybe. Good I, enough to break your scoring metric. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's a it's a strong four out of five for me. Mm. But you know, I'm a little bit stingier than you are. Yeah. It's a hard recommend. I think it's one of those rare films where there isn't somebody I wouldn't recommend this to. I was thinking that earlier, actually. Yeah, it, it kind of feels like it has a, it would have a mass appeal for people. Mm. It's a good all rounder. Yeah, it's a good all rounder. I would definitely recommend this to anyone as well. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can stay up to date with us on Twitter, Instagram or TikTok at sth underscore pod or support us on Patreon. Everything will be linked in the description.